Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. What's up, Chad? Hello, Josh. <laughs> Was that like uh, Hannibal Lecter? Yeah, hello, Clarice. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, uh, I forget what he says. Where he goes, <laughs> Ooh, don't do that on air. That'll just drive some people crazy. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Do it again. <laughs> 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 that, was, that reminds me of Lion King. Yeah. (laughs) Do it again. (laughs) Mufasa. (laughs) Okay. You will be happy to hear. I'm sure you didn't do this, but I did some research for us on the Dead Sea Scrolls, also known as the DSS. (laughs) There you go. I don't think they're actually called that. There you go. Everybody who was making fun of me for not knowing all the information about them, you can share that up today for us. Okay. So. There's this fisherman back in the 1940s. He caught a whale and he found him in the belly. I was kidding. <laughs> um, okay, 1940, there were some shepherd boys. They were uh, shepherding some sheep in the hills of Qumran. That's what shepherds do. That is what they do. Qumran is about 20 miles southeast of Jerusalem. Yeah. Modern day and former day Jerusalem. I don't think it's changed. I don't think so either. <laughs> And they were throwing some rocks, and they hit a clay pot in a cave, and they heard it crack, and so they ran in there to get it, and they found some scrolls mm-hmm. and some pots, and then they let some people know about it, and okay, Qumran became this like huge dig site, archaeological site, yeah. to uncover all these scrolls. Mm-hmm. They found hundreds of scrolls in like at least twelve different caves, and nice. they've been excavating ever since 1940. So still so, still looking for more. Still looking. Basically what was going on there in the area of Qumran, which is interestingly the area that John the Baptist was doing his ministry in, you okay. know, in the wilderness. Um there was a group of uh, it was a Jewish sect there called the Essens or Essens and they basically wanted to live a- away from society. They were kind of like cave dwellers. Okay. They were very religious. They followed the Torah. They followed. They had all the Old Testament books. My phone is ringing. Stop. And um, I guess I'll start off with the most significant thing is all of the Old Testament books were mm-hmm. located in these caves with the exception of Esther. Okay. And the reason they think that is because Esther was read at uh, a festival every year, mm-hmm. and so they most likely would have kept that in a different spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the scroll of Isaiah, they found completely intact, 24-foot-long awesome. scroll. Mm. Nice. You're not interested at all. I, I am. Oh, yeah. bro. Huh? Actually, that's I'm very... quiz you at the end. That's very interesting, too, because one of the things that the, the Jews who don't believe in Christ is that didn't they take out Isaiah 53... Or something like that. Well, they didn't take it out. They just interpret it differently. I thought they, in some of theirs, they, they didn't even include it. Oh. So a lot of Jews don't even Blasphemy. know about it, which is the one that, that is most, you know, shows Christ. 
Um, well, so it's interesting that, that what I'm saying is to find those ancient rites that already had but it. But here's the deal. They would have taken that out after Christ. These people live from 250 B.C. Mm-hmm. to about 100 A.D. Right. So I guess they could have. But that's my point is like it got messed with. Like it, it was in there so they should have, yeah. you know, modern Jews wouldn't know that. Right. So, yeah, they lived from 250 to 100 A.D., 250 B.C. to 100 A.D. Um, it If you... If you read the text, basically it confirms almost exactly what we mm-hmm. currently have in the canon of mm-hmm. the Old Testament. They didn't have any New Testament writings. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is just helpful because the earliest manuscript we had for Isaiah, for example, was 1000 A.D. Okay, and this thing goes all the way back to 250 B.C. Right before so, Christ. So before Christ. Yeah. So basically, older just, is better. Yeah, just confirming what we. What we know is true, but those those are very helpful in terms of authenticating Scripture and, and backing up the the authority of Scripture. But there was also a ton of other stuff found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that people really get excited about. There's obviously all the Bible, and there's like a ton of the Bible, like 33 manuscripts of Psalms, 33 manuscripts of Genesis, Deuteronomy, you know, so nice. it was like a library. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why they hid them all over the place in all these different caves. But they had something going on. But they also had a bunch of Bible commentary to go along with this. Uh, they had um, just like other literature, obviously, that they read. Like they had the Apocrypha, which we talked about a little bit. Yeah, You know, Enoch, um, uh, Tobit. Maccabees, like all these books that we don't include in the canon. But and even Jewish back writings. then, the, the Jews didn't include them. Right. Um, they were all in the calendars. They had all these like um, manuscripts for how to how to do war, um, horoscopes. They had a lot of hymns and prayers, which like um, one of them parallels the Beatitudes really well. Nice. Which is really interesting. It's like, how did they know about the Beatitudes? Which leads scholars to believe that when Jesus quoted the, or when Jesus um, presented the Beatitudes, that format was not unique to to Jesus. Okay, it was like a Jewish way of you know sure, presenting sure. truth. Anyways, that's the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're very interesting. Yeah, I will say I'm going to continue to research them because they're pretty cool. And uh, ultimately, though, all you got to know is that it confirms the canon that we've had for 2,000 years. Awesome. Which... That's all you pretty much said. That is pretty... That is the one thing I did definitely knew about. That. I'll give you credit there, bro. And... <clears throat> Chad doesn't know. trifle with the things that don't need to be trifled with. <laughs> but it is good to know. And there was at one point where I did learn about them. It just wasn't something that all those details didn't stick in my mind from years back. But the one thing that did was it confirms the scriptures... And that's what matters. All right. Take it or leave it, Toppy. You ready? All right. Looks great. Little full, a lot of sap. <laughs> Why do you laugh? What movie is it from? I don't know. What is it from? Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> if this is what I think it is. It's from Christmas Vacation. Yes. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Christmas Vacation. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah. That's a classic. Uh, Uncle Eddie just gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Especially when he explains the metal plate he has in the head and had to get plastic, and he, uh-huh. that's why he couldn't sled. And he talks about how the microwave used to come on; <laughs> he'd lose his mind. 
PS fans. <laughs> Do you watch it with kids? No. Uh-uh. No, that's one that. Will you uh, introduce it to him though soon? Yeah, not soon. That that's like a a rite of passage into adulthood. Like not be adult, but like we're gonna wait for probably for the teenage years for right. for the some of that. You Which know. you'll probably sit down with them to watch it. So excited, and they're just gonna be they're bored gonna think out of their it's mind. so dumb, mm-hmm. right? You know, thanks, Dad. You yeah. know, um, I'd they're like, gonna make you feel guilty for Dad. This is bad. There's only like one or two parts that like I wish was just cut out of it. Yeah. And it, it's really not bad overall. It's just like one or two throwaway parts that you can fast forward through and. Dude, I'll, I'll plug VidAngel again. I don't know if it's on there, but that's what they do to movies. Right. They remove all the profanity. They remove all the scenes. Yeah. And you can like in detail mm-hmm. remove what you want out of the movie. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. With it one day. That'll be good. Cause yeah, you take about like I'm thinking of, like two parts. You take those out and. It's a pretty, pretty mild movie. Yeah. All right. Next topic. Size matters. <laughs> What's so funny? Uh, I pass. <laughs> Just the look on your face told me I should I'd... pass on this one. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> All right, fine. You got to take this. The Gathering. All right. They're uh, the same topic. Uh, so <laughs> we're, we're going to be talking about uh fellowship today fellowship we're we're filling out our circle of spiritual maturity and i wanted this topic to kind of bring us into our actual uh, topic our actual topic of fellowship or the local church so you get an objection from somebody who says and i've been trying to get you to answer this topic forever (laughs) (laughs) so i think it's the providence of god that now i've forced your hand um, well, it's just the take or leave it game. It's, it's finally, the game. It finally landed. Yeah. But I I tricked you into it because both of the topics. Well, I didn't know, though. I know. And when I passed before, I didn't know. So You never know. Um, the Okay, so the objection you'll hear from some people in some circles is, I don't need to go to a church. Like, we are the church. Yeah. You know, when I gather with friends, like mm-hmm. this is the church gathering. I don't, yeah. I don't need a local fellowship with all of, and typically they're guys that are like on the fringe of society. You know, they're, they, they think like, why are you looking at me like that? They're losers. What are you trying to say? <laughs> no, the fringe means they like don't like tradition. Uh, they don't like establishment. I can relate. They don't like authority. Okay, fine. I mean, that's what Get it is. Counselor. That's what it is. It's okay. Some authority is not good authority. So it's not like, always a bad thing right you know but that's that's what you're saying yeah they reject authority which which looks like kind of paving their own way they like to ride around in a van park it down by the river and mm-hmm. eat food out of the i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah it's a little far what do you say to a person <laughs> who has this objection well first thing i would say is i i understand uh usually these are people that struggle to trust authority and there's usually reasons why and there's a lot of authority that abuses that power and there is some reason to question authority sometimes right but when it comes to god we do things on god's standard and it's pretty clear in scripture that it is god's standard for his people to meet together mm-hmm. i mean hebrews 10 24 through 25 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. So, I mean, you have that commandment there. Mm-hmm. Um, you see 
in Acts when the church was being formed. They were gathering. They had all, all things in common. And <clears throat> what I was saying to you earlier, the letters of Paul are evidence of local bodies of believers because those letters are written to local bodies of believers. And there's yeah. instructions for how they should operate and how they should be together. Right, so, that was that was Acts setting up all of these churches. Right. So evangelism led to preaching. Mm-hmm. And, well, honestly, it was preaching and teaching the word. Right. Through that, souls were one. Yeah. So you got evangelism and right. you know, preaching and teaching kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Results in a local body. Yeah. And then Paul writes and instructs them, mm-hmm. this is how you govern that local body. Right. And there's no, there's actually no evidence for any individualism of faith in scripture. It's actually always in the context of gathering. In the Old Testament, it was the temple and the law and the priests and the. Well, everything. even Paul, as he was, he was kind of like a rogue, although he always had like a ministry partner. Yeah. But he would always come back to Jerusalem and they would have their councils and. They would do that, but then he would stay in those places he's setting up churches and be with those people. And yeah, it was never a rogue on your own. Once no accountability. Yeah, unless you want to go to jail. But even Paul, when he was in jail, would have people come to visit and write letters and, you know, like there was always a connection to the local church is my point. Yeah. So you, you actually have a hard, really hard time even proving biblically the idea of having your own faith well, without Typically, any. the person I have in mind, not a, not a mm-hmm. certain person, they're not trying to prove anything biblically. Cause right. think about it. Like, so you already lost the argument. Right. What's the argument? I know, but you want to move a guy like that in slowly into this idea sure. of like the authority of scripture, right. you know? But we would be starting with, well, where do we find our instruction for Christianity? Yeah. I'd be starting with the gospel with a guy like that because if we're in that level, he's probably not even a Christian. Ooh. Right? Sheesh. Because, you know, evidence of being a Christian is adhering to and submitting to God's word. So. Yeah. So we got to start with the gospel in that regard. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'm worried about is arguing over whether or not you should go to church. Right. First thing I'm worried about is do you even know Christ and sharing the gospel with him? Mm-hmm. So, but if we're using the scriptures as our evidences, then it's really not much of an argument. Yeah. Well, we could uh, spend the rest of our time because you pretty much hammered it. Um, going over the six characteristics of a healthy church because we just went through this. You think that's a good idea? Mm-hmm. We just went through this sermon series. I think Sam did two or three part series. Yeah. Which you can find uh, on the podcast, but we're just going to kind of hit the wave tops. Six right. characteristics. The first one is find a church that um, is all about the supremacy of God. They teach um, that God is sovereign, a right. big God view. This mm-hmm. is in contrast to um, making it all about the person. Right. And we see that in preaching and teaching when it makes everything about you. Yeah, I mean, the scriptures, which I think expositional preaching uh, is a part of that. Um, Expositional preaching is just, it sounds very fancy or like it's some sort of extra way of doing things, but it's not. It's actually the biblical way to preach, which is just to expose and explain scripture. Mm -hmm. That's the job of the pastor, to expose it, talk about it, explain what it means, help the congregation understand what God is saying, and then walk it out. Yeah, that did it for me. When I first started coming to the field, I heard Sam say that early on, like, we do expository preaching here, and that went over my head, but then he followed mm-hmm. it up by saying, we just expose what's in the text. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. expose and explain. You don't want our opinions. You don't want our stories, our anecdotes. 
what makes us more right than you. Right. The job of the pastor is to study more than anybody else, to know what it means, and to be able to serve that up and explain that to the congregation so they can grow. God works through that. And in Scripture, we see that man was created for the glory of God. So it's not about us. It's about God's glory. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, the supremacy of God. The next would be the authority of Scripture. Right, which expository preaching there goes along with that. But <clears throat> we have to be able to understand and authenticate that God's Word is true, that we can trust it. There has to be absolute truth, right? And so for a church to be healthy, we have to be able to believe that the the Bible is true because how else would we know to follow and trust the Lord, right? right? And we see that in Second Timothy three sixteen that every word is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuke, and for training in righteousness. I forgot reproof in there too. Messed that up a little bit, but you get my point. And that theonustros of God breathes really means God's wind or God's spirit, which just means the Holy Spirit worked through man mm-hmm. to write the scriptures. That's how we can trust it, uh, the authority of yeah, it. Yeah, some people say every verse has two authors, the man itself and ultimately God through the man. Right. And that's how we can trust the authority. And really the role and the goal of the Holy Spirit, his job in for us now to be the helper as Christ called him. As he comes, he lives inside of us, seals us as the promised Holy Spirit, which is evidence of our faith, Ephesians 1. And his job within our hearts is to constantly help us to agree and submit to his word. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's why when you read scripture and you're a Christian, it convicts you and you feel that conviction to, to change and do. And it, it hurts, but it feels good. That's the Holy Spirit. Right growing our conscious to maturity to trust in and walk in the Word of God. All right, the next one would be, number three, the priority of holiness. Okay. So a healthy church you're going to walk into, there is going to be a tug towards Mm -hmm. holiness. There should be. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about walking in and being comfortable in your sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, some churches may want to make you feel welcomed as a sinner which right and almost make it okay like all are welcome right which is true true but we're all welcome to hear the word of truth and that truth should convict us to change and be sanctified yeah we're all welcome on the basis of what christ has done and what he can do in us if he indwells mm-hmm. us. Yeah, we see this all over scripture, Romans eight twenty eight and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God works all things in our lives for good, but for what purpose? to transform us and conform us into the image of his son, which is sanctification. Right. Like that's the purpose, right? We see in Ephesians 1 that he predestined us to be holy and blameless, right? Like that's the point of salvation is to to make us holy and set apart yeah. and, and grow us in that. And um, we see that in our memory verse for the month. You know, if, if you guys are at our church listening right now, 
where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So those are just a, those are just a few spots that we see that expectation. Right. And you're not going to find this in any way close than in a local church. Mm-hmm. Like you get a group of friends together for a Bible study. I mean, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You guys are probably, you're not going to pull each other towards holiness. You're right. probably just going to find some sort of homeostasis and all kind of even each other out. Yeah. You know, like you need to be under the preaching and teaching of God's word. That's right. And and you also need to be under the authority of elders and shepherds that the Bible tells us to be. Which is the next one. Number four is the plurality of qualified elders mm-hmm. and the accountability of qualified membership. So basically two aspects, those who lead the church and those who are who make up the church. Right. Which are members of that church that are first and foremost Christians who are committed to and devoted to that local body, right? Mm-hmm. And submit themselves to the the leadership of the elders. Yeah, so you get I mean, I've been to a lot of different churches over the years and I think I've been a member of a couple of them because mm-hmm. all it really required was to just fill out a little card. Or some people just raise your hand or, I don't know, tell them you're interested. Yeah, <laughs> it so, doesn't take much. So what's wrong with that? Well, one, there's no commitment. Two, there's no submitting yourself to the authority of the elders. The elders don't even know who you are. They're not even sure if you're truly a Christian or not. Right. right so, so members have to be a Christian. Absolutely. That doesn't make any sense because... The first requirement to be a part of Christ's body is Christ himself. Yeah. Right? And the local bodies are just, I think of it as like how our bodies have cells within that make up the body. Yeah. That's what the local church is to the global big C church. Right. right? So you can't be a part of that until you're born again. It's the first requirement. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, I skipped over that, having you distinguish between the church. Mm -hmm. Because that's what people say, we're the church, man. Two or three are gathered. This is a church right here. Right. Because we're all a part of the body of Christ. Right. And that's true. God's global body, you know, God's word is moving throughout the world and and his His church is growing in that way universally. Anybody who's in Christ is a part of the, the universal global church. But once again, it's very clear that there's an expectation to a local assembly with pastors and shepherds and elders to help mature and grow a local body in Christ through the preaching and teaching of the word and the discipleship of the word. Yeah. All right. Here's one that this, this guy that doesn't love the authority aspect is going to have trouble with, but it's the (laughs) plurality of qualified elders. Yeah. But we see that in scripture in multiple places. We see it in Ephesians. We talks about how God's given a gift to the church in a, in Ephesians 411 and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So to break that down, he gave the apostles and the prophets. Well, apostles and prophets don't exist any longer, but he gave those throughout history, and we have their writing in the Bible, right? So we still adhere to the prophets and the apostles teaching we there are a lot of people who debate that but i i completely agree with you but it's a right. whole nother segue we don't need to get into it. right just know that i'm right <laughs> <laughs> it's biblical bro but we've got we've got that so we still just like in acts 2 when they're gathering around to hear the prophets the apostles teaching or just like in the old testament when the assembly would listen to the prophets 
we still do that. That's called the God's word. We read that and we're still adhering to it, right? But what we have, where we live now, we have the evangelists and we have the shepherd and teachers. That word for shepherd and teachers is synonymous with elders as well. The original words there. So that's, that's what we call a pastor or elder, right? Now, an evangelist is something different and that can be debated because we're all called to make disciples, but we do see that some people have more maybe of a gift of evangelism. You know, we've seen guys like MacArthur, R.C. Sproul talk about this too, but I think there's some people that do have a gift of evangelism, meaning like they have just a passion and a, a way to just draw people, gather people, share the gospel effectively. That doesn't mean that we all shouldn't still make disciples, but you know, there's some people in our church that really have that just natural gift to do that and that's praise well, God here's the that. deal too if you are an evangelist and you're good at winning souls out on the streets you need a healthy local church to bring those souls back to mm-hmm. or you're going to be bringing all of these brand new christians to maturity by yourself which essentially creating your own church right which is fine if you're called to be a pastor and create a new church mm-hmm. um, but if you're an evangelist and you see that as your role in the kingdom well, then you need a pastor to bring home, to come home to, to be under the authority of, and also bring those new mm-hmm. souls to. Absolutely. And the other evidence we have for the plurality of elders, we see when Paul is setting up the local churches and he's he's writing letters to Timothy and Titus who become pastors of some of these new churches that are started, he gives them instruction of how to find qualified elders, people to appoint as elders, and be able to lead and guide and shepherd those churches. We see it in in First Timothy three one, one through seven, and Titus chapter one verses five through nine. So, if there wasn't an expectation of eldership, then there wouldn't be an instruction by Paul of what that looks like to uh, appoint and set up elders. And we could really discuss the elder topic and just the authority there on a whole nother podcast. But I think right. it's just suffice to say. A healthy local church needs to be led by qualified men. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what we're getting at. Yeah. All right. Number five is the responsibility of gospel proclamation. Mm-hmm. Essentially, being taught from the pulpit is the responsibility on every Christian to reach the nations. And the way Sam put it, yeah. which I love, you reach the neighbor and the nation, mm-hmm. right? Right. And even reaching the nations through the neighbor. You may mm-hmm. reach someone in your neighborhood who then goes on to be a missionary. And so as a church, right. we're playing that role together. Absolutely. And that has to be put on the, the members as a responsibility, Yeah, which is essential if you're going through, which we'll talk about that next week too, just the, yeah. the role of evangelism. Yeah, because, I mean, the the last charge from Christ himself to the disciples was go therefore and make disciples. So, and Paul talks about that in, in second Corinthians five about being an ambassador for Christ. It's all over scripture that it's a duty and job of, of a Christian to proclaim and advance the gospel, right? Like that's our, one of our number one duties. So there's really no debate in that, but we see that idea. uh, I think it's in acts one or maybe it's acts two. Um, or go to all the nations. Yeah, I'm trying Acts to. Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8, that's right. You're right. Yeah, where, where Jesus tells, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see that kind of spiral of locally 
and then regionally and then globally. Yeah. Right. So there's that expectation that we would reach the world with the gospel. Right. And that starts with evangelistic preaching. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which doesn't mean every sermon is about evangelism. I love what we do at our church. We've been walking through the book of Luke. And when a, when there's a passage that we're going through that talks about evangelism, then we get taught about evangelism. Right. And when there's one about the judgment of God, we get taught about that. We don't right. hide from any doctrine, which means we're mm-hmm. necessarily going to be taught right. all the doctrine. But every Sunday we do have a time of proclaiming the gospel. Every Sunday. Right. And we teach our disciples and everybody like in Bible study and discipleship how to share their, how to share their faith, what the gospel is. So it should be a regular occurrence in a church that you're being taught what the gospel is and how to proclaim it. All right. Here's a question. Who is church for? The Christian or the unsaved person? For the Christian first. And then the Christians go out and proclaim the gospel to the unsaved. And we're talking about the local assembly on a Sunday morning, right? That's our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? right? So primarily what's going to be happening there. First is to the saints saints. to mature them in their faith and teach them the scriptures and teach them the gospel and all those things. And they're, they're being equipped for the work of the ministry, which is going out and proclaiming the gospel, right? Now, do we welcome people who are not Christians on a Sunday morning to come and hear and Hear the word of God as well? Yes. But is our target, is our primary goal that morning to speak to the lost person? No. Our goal is to equip our, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then some people hear that and do get saved on a Sunday morning, but our, our eggs are not in the basket of a Sunday morning. Right. Our eggs are in the basket of our people going to their neighbors and sharing their faith. Well, and this should, this should, um, we should emphasize this. Because when you walk into a church, mm-hmm. like primarily you should not be concerned with, oh, I couldn't bring my unsaved friend here. Yeah. No, that should that's actually a sign that that's a healthy church. Right. It should be uncomfortable to right. an unsaved person in a in a gospel proclaiming church. Right. Either one because everything's over their head, or two because it's convicting them of sin. Right. And the unsaved for a neighbor, you should be being equipped to sit down over coffee or over lunch and exactly. share the gospel with them. I've had that happen to me personally, like having someone who's come to our church, sat under the preaching, mm-hmm. heard the gospel proclaimed multiple times every Sunday, mm-hmm. and just assuming they were saved or assuming they were they had understood the gospel or maybe they were saved before. I was assuming all these things. Mm-hmm. Finally sat down with them and shared the gospel man to man. And it, at that point, like, it was like a light bulb went off. Right. More for me, because I don't think they accepted Christ that day, but I was like, wow, he really hasn't been hearing right. everything that's been being taught. And you notice when Jesus would proclaim and he would share things to the crowds and things, he would often say the words, he who has ears, let him hear. Mm-hmm. And it's clear in Scripture that God is the one who has to open the eyes and the ears of the blind and the lost, right? So it's true. You can sit there and hear great preaching week in and week out, and it completely going over your head and not hearing it yeah so i guess to all this to say your church should be focused on equipping you the christian Mm -hmm. to reach people with the gospel right and to grow and mature to yourself well that too i'm just saying for this specific point we're talking about um it is a place where you can bring non-christians but not for the sake of them being saved right you're the you're the primary means that god wants Mm -hmm. to use in this person's life right to be saved you go to 
to church to be trained up to do mm-hmm. that and also for worshipful experience yeah. of God so that your heart is full to then share right. with somebody. And now we've had plenty of people sit in our come in and sit in our services and get saved in our services or be saved by the service or whatever. But it's not our primary aim. Our primary aim is just to teach the word and preach the word expositorily. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. Next and last would be the necessity of love. So mm-hmm. quoting Sam, he said, church is the most or should be the most loving place in anyone's world. Yeah. Genuine and sees the need for Christ and forgives. Sorry, that was just my notes. So <laughs> don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, Christ himself is love, agape love, God's love, which is is an assent of the will, like it's a choice, an action. And if you want to understand what God's love looks like, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great one, and many people use this for many reasons, a lot of times at weddings, to, and maybe they don't always quite understand it, but but the love of Christ, the agape love, is right here where love is patient and kind. This is far. This is uh, sorry. First Corinthians thirteen, starting in verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then, if we look at Ephesians four, as that we talked about earlier, that. Rather, instead of being tossed by all different winds of doctrine, we're to speak the truth in love. And all over scripture, as Christians, we're to endure, we're to love our enemies, but we are to speak the truth in love. Yeah. So being loving doesn't mean backing down from the truth. It's quite the opposite. It's having a loving demeanor, but standing firm on the truth because the truth is the only thing that sets us free. Yeah. That changes our hearts. When I think we all know, like as a church and as God's people, we are going to look and act differently. And mm-hmm. a lot of times the world's version of love is that like backing down, mm-hmm. you know, talking behind someone's back, but being very accepting of all behavior up mm-hmm. front. And that's one easy way to set yourself apart from the world is speaking the truth in love, mm-hmm. not accepting behavior. Yeah. As right. That's and right. knowing like, hey, that doesn't measure up to God's standard. If you're a Christian, you have the righteousness of Christ in you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit to put off those those things. We don't have to accept that. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to stand out, speak the yeah. truth in love, which isn't very popular right now. Right. Yeah, and that idea of just we're we're able to be loving in the way that we just read because we're trusting in the power of God, and, and we're doing it as a worship to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not about us, so we're able to endure slander or or being ridiculed or all these things because our bigger picture is one of eternal perspective. That I care way more about this person here in the gospel and having an opportunity to be saved and go to heaven than I care about my comforts or how they treat me. Mm-hmm. But we got to stand firm on the truth. Yeah, that's good. I think a couple of years ago, or maybe even a year ago, I would have said, you guys got to join a church because you got to serve. <laughs> but I've learned, like, church is not just about serving. That is something that will just come. Sure, that's As a, you grow in maturity, yeah. you will begin to want to help the saints mm-hmm. towards a certain end. But 
you need the church for your worship with for God. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be built up in your own holiness that you would have a worshipful life to God. And Romans twelve one would be true mm-hmm. of you. That you'd be able to present yourselves holy and blameless. Right. Any closing thoughts, Pastor Chad? No. I uh Elder Chad. I think Counselor Chad. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything Coach Chad. <laughs> If anything, I would say, if you're not in a healthy biblical church, you're really missing out mm-hmm. on all that God has for us in the way he designed it. Mm-hmm. So, period. find one. <laughs> Comma, period. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next week, evangelism. Let's do it. I bet you that would be our less, least listened to episode. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. Hey, we should assume the best, actually. That's right. Yeah, people want to reach people. Heck oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, number one. Here we go. Next, next week. Here we go. Later. Thank you for listening to the Change Up Podcast. This podcast is made possible by The Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. We have service times at 845 and 1045 on Sundays, and you can find more information at thefieldnola.com. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it with a friend or family member and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people just like you find us.